get everything started. Y'all help me preach this tonight. We're going to be live through Facebook and other means and kind of getting out in avenues and, uh, you know, on the internet and through various recordings that go literally around the world. So y'all just help me. So Lord, we just lift up tonight. We bless you. And we thank you so much as we come to you in Jesus' name through his blood. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we love your word. We love your presence. What an awesome presence of God, an awesome anointing here tonight. But Lord, we just bless you and we ask you as we come to you through Jesus' name and his precious blood that the heavens be really open, that your glory be awesome. We ask, Father, that by the Spirit of God, here we are coming into Pentecost next week, but as the Holy Spirit would move upon every one of us that are hearing this word tonight. People that are going to hear this maybe through recordings, however they're going to hear it. Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit to move upon them even now. <clears throat> and help us to give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus, to get everything out of this that needs to be gotten out of it, that our minds will be anointed to understand, our eyes and ears anointed, our our hearts are in tune with you. We're good soil for what you're speaking to us. Lord, help us to truly be able to see, hear, and understand by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, that you would speak through me the word of the Lord. Everything that you want spoken to go out as living seeds sown into that good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, taking root, growing, producing a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. Lord, as the heavens are open, your glory is here. And what a glory here tonight, an awesome presence. Lord, I pray that your, your word will go out like the washing of the water of the word, like a bright shining light of truth that dispels all the darkness, lies, deception, and brings truth and revelation. And Lord, everything will be accomplished in through us. You will be done. Lord, let the winds of your spirit carry this out where it needs to go to accomplish what it needs to accomplish. And we agree together. Jesus said the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So Lord, we take authority. We submit this unto you. Every aspect of this tonight, we submit it under your lordship, and we resist the devil. We must flee. We bind up anything as a church that would try to hinder, distract, oppress in any way, hinder this word of God. We bind it in the name of Jesus. We command to back off and go right now in Jesus' name. Lord, let your angels clear that out. Let the heavens be open again. I've said that a couple times tonight, but Lord, just a freedom and access to the glory realm tonight, your presence here. Let this be a powerful time. And literally everything, this will get where it's supposed to accomplish what it's supposed to because the Bible says your word would not return void, but it would do that. So, Lord, we thank you for it. We bless you. And, um, Lord, I just pray that the word of God as it goes out, Lord, let this be like a sustained work because we need people that hear this tonight to really apply the word in their life. So, Lord, let this be something that remains with people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm going to deal tonight with, I've been talking about return, returning to your roots. So as I get into this, God spoke to me a little while back and told me, return to your roots. And as I began to look into that, what exactly God was saying to me, and I felt in my situation, God was saying to me to get back to the roots of Pentecost and revival. And everybody knows this pretty much. I've, I've spoken to people, even speakers we're having coming in next week. And they'll tell you that in many, many places have, have gotten away from the roots of Pentecost and revival. Even those that at once, you know, one time had that, they have gotten away from their roots. Many places where tongues used to flow, now you'll never hear speaking in tongues and you'll never see the power of God. And it's just really sad that people have abandoned this, but... The Lord told me to go back to that. So right now, the current trend has been for around 15 years or so, increasingly, to make things more entertainment-based. It's more about the here and the now. You know, be a better you now. And that's the message. So where's the message about what's important in eternity? You see, it's all just focused on you having a good life now. Well, what about whenever we start with a mindset that what's going to matter in eternity, we begin to think completely different about what we're doing. All of a sudden, we're more burdened about souls, and our lives need to count for eternity, not just having some kind of comfort here and now. So there's that aspect of the message has changed to where, you know, people will sit around and, and 
groups and we'll discuss, you know, how can we change the message or do this, that, and the other, promote this, um, advertise this to just to get people to come. So the motive behind things many times is about numbers and money, and it's not really about pleasing the Lord. Is how many knows sometimes if you're really truly going to please God, you're going to tick off some people. And see, they don't want to do that. They just want to make everybody happy, pacify the crowd. <clears throat> so there's been this current move for a while, again, entertainment-based, more of a social club, and give people what they want. And there's so many things wrong with that. That's not what my message is about. But I wanted to put that out there because when God said, return to your roots, See, the roots is an understanding that you pay a price for the power of God in your life to live holy, to seek him in prayer and fasting. It's a, it's a sacrificial life. We're willing to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, follow him to the death. We're going to say, what did Jesus say? I'm going to do what the, I see the Father doing. I'm going to speak what I hear the Father speaking. He was obedient, even though at times in his obedience it made people want to kill him. You see, so there's something about this disciplined life, a sacrificial life that we lay down our life for the Lord that is, that message is, is just not popular right now. But I believe that God has got a revival on the horizon that's going to be in the way of a great awakening and that move of the Spirit is going to bring the change that needs to come. I, I really believe this in the move of God that's coming that the prodigals will come home, those that are backslidden will be convicted again to get their life right, those that have been touched in revival in the past but have really waned and got off course will get back on course. There'll be a great harvest of souls come in. There'll be like a remnant that will be deeply purified. They'll totally sell out. They're going to be a bride ready to meet their bridegroom in the air. And the Lord is going to clean house. He's going to do what only he can do. We can talk about this all day long, and I can get up here and say, you know, well, this and that and the other is wrong. And, you know, what I was saying earlier, things have changed, the message has changed, things have been lost. That's true, but me talking about it isn't going to change it. I'm going to preach on what's going to change it here in a moment, but the fact of the matter is we can talk about it all day long. It's not going to do anything. What we need is for God to come down. And so as I talk about this tonight, I'm talking about the latter rain and returning to your roots. So getting back to the understanding of tapping into the roots of the power of Pentecost, and it's like the rivers of revival that we desperately need. And so let me just talk about this at the beginning. So just to lay some groundwork where I'm going, down through history, there's stories I could tell you, historical accounts in the body of Christ, and I'll, I'll touch on some of that. But let me give you two, just two out of the Bible of when people got desperate with God in prayer and fasting and how it literally, hear what I'm saying because I don't want you to miss this, it literally changed nations and wrote history. It was like major change. Let me give you one story. Jonah goes to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. Assyria um, was a wicked place. And God sent him there. We know this, that, you know, Assyria was a great enemy to Israel, and Jonah really hated the Assyrians. So God tells him to go there, and he's like, I don't want these people to be blessed. I don't want them to, to be forgiven. They deserve what they got coming. He didn't want to go. But even in his rebellion, he ended up going. But when Nineveh, it was a, a heathen city, a bunch of uncircumcised people, okay? Heathen city. They had been living so wickedly, but yet when they heard the message and they humbled themselves, the most important part of this, I think, is the humility. But they humbled themselves in prayer and fasting. I mean, if you read the story, the king even said, don't let your animals eat or drink for a few days so even the animals were forced to fast okay this was a serious fast and they got on their face before God but let me tell you something God forgave them and it was like a major revival of repentance 
that changed a nation and wrote history. Another story I could tell you out of the Word of God is Esther. In a time when God's people were in dire straits, you know, we know this story. Haman, you know, was lining up the slaughter of the Jews. Anyway, when Esther called for God's people to humble themselves and pray and fast, it turned the whole thing around. Again, this affected nations. All of Persia and all of the Jewish people living in Persia, it changed nations, the situation of nations, and it wrote history that we still talk about to this day. So I'm going somewhere with this, if you'll follow me, because I'm going to kind of move around just a little bit, but bring it all together at the end. So the day of Pentecost, because we're coming upon Pentecost this week, and we've got a Pentecost conference coming up. The day of Pentecost is the birth of the church. God birthed his church in the power of the Holy Ghost. We were never supposed to lose that. Jesus himself submitted, even though he was sinless, he submitted himself to be baptized. There was more to that than what a lot of people know. I'm just going to say it briefly. I don't have time to explain it, but John the Baptist was a direct descendant of Aaron and should have been the high priest. Caiaphas only was for political reasons. So when John baptized Jesus, he was passing the priesthood and really probably passing the prophetic on his life. And he said, look, I'm, I'm passing this. I must decrease now everything goes to him. He must increase. When Jesus came out of the water, he went down as the son of David, but he came up in the order of Melchizedek as a priest and a prophet and a king. And he was clothed in the spirit of God in power. So the Bible says the spirit of God came upon him like a dove. I don't personally believe that a bird landed on him. I believe that the Holy Spirit came and clothed him gently like a dove would settle upon him. That's what John saw. But anyway, the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus and then he had to be tested in the wilderness, but he came out of that in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus did nothing except but by the power of the Holy Spirit. The very first thing Jesus did in his first message was he stood up in the synagogue. He finds the scroll in Isaiah, turns to it, finds the place where he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. That's the first thing he did. He put the emphasis on my ministry is based on the anointing of the Holy Spirit on me. And then whenever Jesus leaves in Acts 1-8, you know, they're asking him, Jesus, we're on the Mount of Olives here. You know, when are you going to restore the kingdom? And Jesus said, guys, it's not for you to know all these dates and specifics. But here's what you do need to know. You go wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power. And then you'll be my witnesses. So they went and they waited, you know, around 10 days. They were there praying and they were seeking God. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit filled them. They were baptized in the Holy Ghost. And then you read about how they went out of that encounter in the power of the Spirit, see. And they were doing what Jesus did under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you this. Satan's greatest threat with the church is that we would be unified, but we would be anointed in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's his greatest threat. Because he knows that the power of God in the church is going to destroy his bondage in people. It's going to break open harvest fields. It's going to heal the sick. It's going to deliver the captives. He knows that. He knows that his kingdom will be defeated and destroyed by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And Satan has fought that tooth and nail to get the anointing out and to keep it out and replace it with various types of religious activity to pacify the saints and keep people happy just as long as they don't ever rock the boat in their city and rise up under some kind of an anointing that's going to threaten him in that city. But the day of Pentecost birthed the church. Every great advancement that we have seen over the last 2,000 years, every great advancement has been by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I know you guys are familiar with it, and I'll talk more about it here in a moment. 
But we were born, the church was born in the fires of revival on the day of Pentecost. The church was birthed in the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Being clothed with power. That is our birthday. That is what God desires for the church. And Satan has so fought that, that down through the ages, it continually, the church will backslide. Some group of people have to emerge that will pray and fast and seek God, which is what I'm about to get into, until revival comes. And what happens? God restores back the power of God again. And every time when the Holy Spirit comes in power, what happens? The harvest starts coming in. Healings and miracles break out. People are delivered from demonic bondage. Satan's kingdom is on the run, and the kingdom of God is advancing. So let me kind of bring this together. The book of Joel, because I'm talking about the latter rain. The book of Joel opens with a scene, Joel chapter 1. I'm just going to read a few uh, verses out of this 8 through 12. But what you're going to see is great depression, destruction, mourning, a total absence of joy. What you're going to see here is dire straits. And so look at the descriptive terms here. Joel 1.8, God says through the prophet Joel, Wail like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. Imagine a young lady that had been pledged to be married. She, she knew that this was the man she was going to spend the rest of her life with, that was going to father her children, that they were going to have this life together, and all of a sudden he's dead. You know, she's wailing. All of those dreams died with him, so to speak, you see. There's a deep wail, a groan. And so this is what God's saying here. And in verse 9, it says, For the grain offering and the drink offering have been cut off from the house of God. You know, if the fields are not producing, then the offerings in the temple cannot happen. And God is saying, you don't have the grain and the, the, you know, the wine offerings, etc. coming in because, because the fields are being destroyed. He says, the priest mourn. The ministers of the Lord, for the fields are ruined, the land mourns, the grain is ruined, the new wine dries up, the fresh oil fails. Be ashamed, O farmers, wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the field is destroyed. The vines have dried up, the fig tree fails, the pomegranate, the palm also, the apple tree, all these trees that fill dry up. Indeed, rejoicing dries up from the sons of men. Gird yourself with sackcloth. Let me stop there. You see that this destruction has come. Something has happened. Now, I want you to read this with me, not just from a natural, because we know that the farmers farm in the fields, their grain was being destroyed somehow through blight or something. The, their fruit trees, etc., the vineyards were drying up. They weren't producing. Something was happening, a drought in the natural. But you have to understand that this is also a metaphor, and God's saying here, that the grain represents the harvest is not coming in right now. Do you see what I'm saying? The outpouring of the rain to bring in the harvest is not happening. You're not seeing the soul saved. Where's the new wine of joy, the, the being filled with the Spirit? Where's the fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit, the fresh oil? So do you see where I'm going with this? And so God is saying, look, you're in dire straits. You know what's scary, though, in the church? In, in the last days, it seems that those seven churches of Asia speak of a timeline of which Laodicea would be the last day church. It sure is concerning to me that in the church of Laodicea, Jesus saw them as wretched and blind, naked and poor, in need, okay? You know how they saw themselves? Wealthy and doing just fine. Sometimes the way God sees us is a lot different than the way we see ourselves. And what we need to see right now is that really, even though we're living in a time where there may be some places that have a lot of money and, and they can really put on a good show, truth is we're not seeing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit we need to see. We're not really seeing the harvest coming in like we need to. So God is, is showing here a scene where things are not good. And he says, now <clears throat> I'm going to give you the remedy. So the remedy is found in Joel 1, 13 through 14. 
And God says to Israel, he says, gird yourself with sackcloth, lament, O priest, wail, O ministers at the altar. Come spend the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, for the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of God. Consecrate a fast. I want you to notice the word consecrate because you see that a lot. Consecrating your lives. But anyway, consecrate a fast. Proclaim a sacred assembly. Gather the elders and the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near and it will come. Destruction from the Almighty. Has not food been cut off from before our eyes? Gladness and joy from the house of God. The seeds are shriveling under those dirt clods. The storehouses are desolate. The barns are torn down. The grain is dried up. How the beast groan. Even the farm animals are groaning from hunger. The herds of cattle wander aimlessly because there's no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. To you, O Lord, I cry, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. And the flame has burned up all the trees of the field. Even the beast of the field pant for you. For the water brooks are dried up and the fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. And this picks up in Joel 2. I'm skipping some verses just for the sake of time. I encourage you to read all of Joel 1 and 2 at home. But in Joel chapter 2 verse 12, it says, yet even now. So you see God's remedy here. We say, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. God's not looking for just outward displays of piety. He wants to see that people's hearts are after him. He said, rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. Who knows? whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing. Even a grain offering, a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow a shofar in Zion. Consecrate, there's that word again, consecrate. Proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation again, sanctify the congregation. There's something about repenting and consecrating your life. Assemble the elders. There's also something about leaders. You know, there can be people in a church that are praying, and that is awesome, powerful. You intercessors are powerhouses. But you know what? There's also a dimension where when the elders will come together and really humble themselves and pray and fast, that carries a lot of weight. He says, gather the people. And he said, gather the children, the nursing infants, the bride, bridegroom to come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber. Let the priest of the Lord's ministers weep between the porch and altar. And let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should the people say, where is their God? So here's the remedy. So we see that things are not where they need to be, but you got to have eyes to see that I'm concerned that we're living in a time of Laodicea where everybody pretty much thinks things are good, but they're not really good. Where is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Where's the power of Pentecost? You know, where's the sovereign move of God to see the harvest yield? You know, we can be like Laodicea and we can say about ourselves, well, we're wealthy. We're fine. We're in need of nothing. We've got it all figured out. But the truth of the matter is the Lord looks at that and says, in actual fact, the way I see it is you're wretched and poor, naked and blind. I counsel you to come by gold refined in the fire from me. Let me anoint your eyes with eye salve so you can actually see things the way I see them. Now let me clothe you with white garments. We need to understand that we're actually in dire straits. I'm concerned that people by and large in America don't see that, but it should be obvious. When you do see it, it has got to bring us to a place of desperate cry. When people get desperate down through the ages, I've seen it. I saw this in, in the 90s. I was there in that revival. I saw it firsthand witness. I saw the desperation in people. Now, and I read about it down through history. Before God moved really powerful at Azusa Street, there was a man by the name of Frank Bartleman who was just so desperate in his prayer and fasting. He lost weight. His family began to worry about him. 
but he was just so desperate for a move of God and he knew that God wanted to move. And William Seymour also was so desperate, he was spending several hours a day on Bonnie Bray Street in that house praying and seeking God. And revival came. So this is God's response. First, we've got to see the desperate situation. But secondly, we've got to respond with humility, prayer, and fasting, consecrating our lives. And I'm going to build on that here in a moment. But then once God hears, he sees our desperation. We're crying out to him, and he sees that. Now here's God's response in Joel 2. God has promised in these latter days that he would pour out his spirit on all flesh, hasn't he? So Joel 2, verse 18, The Lord will be zealous for his land and have pity on his people. The Lord will answer and say to the people, Behold, I am going to send you grain, new wine, and oil. You know what that is? In the, in the natural, we know what that is. But the grain is, I am going to yield the harvest for you. The wine being poured out, he was saying, I'm going to fill you with my Holy Spirit. The oil, he's saying, I'm going to give you a fresh anointing. I know in the natural what it's speaking of, but I want you to see the aspects here of revival and what it's speaking of in the spiritual. And he said, and you will be satisfied in full with them. You will never again be a reproach among the nations. I will remove the northern army. How many knows that many times Satan has things there behind the scenes? See, we've got to pray and seek God and let God help us to see the resistance of the enemy that is against the move of God behind the scenes because the Bible says in Ephesians 6 we do wrestle against principalities and powers so there is something behind the scenes that is trying to resist the move of God but as people humble themselves in prayer and fasting that desperate cry they're willing to consecrate their lives here's what God says I will respond I will yield the harvest for you and I will drive away that northern army that's been against you. And its vanguard into the eastern sea and its rear guard into the western sea. And its stench will rise and its foul smell will come up for it has done great things. Do not fear, O lamb, rejoice and be glad for the Lord has done these great things. Do not fear, beast of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness have turned green. For the tree is born its fruit, the fig tree, the vine is yielded in full. Rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God. For he has given you, and I want you to remember this phrase, the early rain for your vindication. And he has poured down for you the rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors, that's where the grain was gathered to be sifted. Okay, the threshing floors will be full. The vats, you know what that's saying there? The full harvest will come in. You won't be lacking. He says the vats will overflow with new wine and oil. And I will make up for you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. I love it when it, it's read in King James. It says, I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. See, Satan has sent in his northern army. And, and they come in and they begin to eat up and devour so many things. But whenever people will get a hold of God in humility, prayer, and fasting, and they'll consecrate their lives, and, and they really seek him, and, and the God hears and he responds. He says, I will drive your enemy from you. I will, I will bring in the harvest and I'll pour out my spirit. Here's what he says. And I will even restore to you everything that the locust has eaten. I will restore it all. All that the creeping locusts, stripping locusts, gnawing locusts, that great army I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. Then my people will never be put to shame. Thus you will know that I am in the midst of Israel and I am the Lord your God and there'll be no other. For, uh, and my people will never be put to shame. But here it is. And I'm going to come back to this later because Peter quoted it in the day of Pentecost. Verse 28, we all know it. And it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men dream dreams. Your young men see visions. Even on my male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Isn't that awesome? You, you come into this scene painted by Joel here of such desperate situation. I mean, the fields were barren. 
The trees were barren. The people were starving. They couldn't feed their families. The farm animals were even starving and groaning because it was such a desperate drought, a famine. And God says, if you'll see that desperate place you're in, and if you, I'll give you the remedy here. If you'll do this, humble yourself. Come together, pray and fast and seek me with all your heart. He says, then I will hear and I will respond. And my response will be this. And he begins to restore everything the army stole. Now let me kind of, I'm moving around, but I'm going to bring it all together here in a moment. The church is God's creation by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just like when God took Adam, you know, he formed him out of the dirt. And I could just see, you know, putting his hand behind, the, behind his head, kind of lifting him up. And, and God put his, like, his mouth over Adam and he pushed down into him. He breathed into him, but pushed down into that, that body had formed a living soul, a spirit, a soul. And Adam stood up. And I can see in the similar way that the church was born by the breath of God. On the day of Pentecost, when the, when the Spirit of God fell, what does it say? A rushing mighty wind blew in and breathed life in. That's how the church was born. The body of Christ, like a body, was fashioned and God breathed into us that breath of life. And see, God had always been among his people, but now he was saying, I'm going to be with them and I'm even going to be inside them by the indwelling Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit would also be upon us in power. So Pentecost, in Hebrew it's called Shavuot, was the birth of the church. But listen to what I'm saying. The measure of life and vitality in the church down through the last 2,000 years has always had to do with the measure of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we also know it is God's will to pour out his spirit in these last days. Now, that's very important because the Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he's near. So when you know that we're living in the last days and you know you have a scripture that clearly says, in the latter days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So we know that it is God's predetermined plan See, the scripture that I just read to you, I told you to really take note about the early and latter rains. So in Israel, here's how it, how it goes in the natural. Right before the winter time, you have the early rains that fall. And what happens, the farmer needs to get that seed in the ground, but those early rains will come and it'll be in the soil. The, the seed is there. It's been rained upon. And then you go into that winter time, things lay dormant. So that's the early rain. The latter rain comes now in springtime. That latter rain will come down in abundance. The seed will begin to really flourish and come up. And you have the harvest, the barley first, then the wheat. So the rain is connected to what? The harvest. There's always a connection with the rain and the harvest. But God says, I will send you the early and latter rains again. And so I believe there's something in this prophetically that the early rain, if you will, was like the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit that happened on the day of Pentecost and through the early church that we read about, book of Acts and beyond. But there was a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in those early days. Then it's like the winter came. And you, you, know, you see the dark ages. But here in these latter days that we're living, God has been pouring out his spirit in increasing measure and increasing frequency until the coming of Jesus Christ. See, we, we read about it in 1517 when Martin Luther nailed that thesis on the door of Wittenberg and, and there was like a, a revival of sorts to break free from Roman Catholicism and and once again, it was like the revival of uh, people understanding it is by faith that I'm saved through grace. It's not through all these relics and through all this religious stuff that Roman Catholicism is trying to tell you. That's not going to get you into heaven. It is by faith in Christ, you see. 
And that was like the first little breath of life that began to come. And then you read about 1750. I'm going to go through this here in a moment. But God has revealed, I'm going to jump right back into that. Let me say something before I do that. God has revealed this, that it is his will, his predetermined will to pour out his spirit in the latter days. Did you, have you really thought about that? It was God's predetermined plan. So much so that it was written about thousands of years ago through the prophet Joel, reiterated by Peter, but it was God's predetermined plan that when he birthed the church, there would be the early reigns in the early church, but there would be the latter reigns, which are greater, by the way, in the last day church. And we're living in those times. God revealed that it is his will by stating, I will do this. Also, it has produced results that no man could produce if your life depended on it. And I love when you hear sometimes people talk about revival. And I've, I've heard um, Duncan Campbell talk about the great revival that happened in the Isle of Hebrides in late 40s, or 1940s and early 1950s. A great outpouring of the Holy Spirit happened. And Duncan Campbell, you can listen to him talk about on YouTube. You ought to look it up and listen to it. It's really powerful. But he said that it was a, he said it's sovereign and supernatural God moving among men. Nothing that our endeavors, our human endeavors could do. But God came down and he did it by the power of his spirit. And people, he talked about what happened in that, revi that revival. People were convicted, even in bars, people just fell under conviction on the side of the road in their homes. People, even at a police station, I mean, the Holy Spirit began to move so pervasive. People were gripped with the fear of God. God did something through the power of the Holy Spirit that no man could do, no preaching could do, no teaching could do, no you know, philosophy could do, no counseling could do. But yet when the Holy Spirit came down, that harvest yielded. But what happened in Hebrides? The same thing I'm reading about in Joel. There was a group of people that saw the decline in their culture where the church was being abandoned and the dance halls, the bars, the brothels, things like that were filling up with people. And there was a remnant, there's usually a small group of men that met in a barn in a city called Barvis, and they around, you know, 7 to 12 is a small number. They, they really began to pray and seek God. And two elderly women in a cottage who were sisters, they began to really seek God. What happened? Just like in Joel, they saw the desperate need. Everybody else on the island maybe didn't see it. They were just going through their life like normal, but yet there was a group of people that had eyes to see things the way God saw them, and they saw that there was a desperate need for revival. These people, the church is declining. People are, are getting so far from God. Sin is pervasive. If these people were to die in their sin, they're going to hell, and they really saw the desperate need. So what they do? They begin to humble themselves and pray and cry out to God in a desperate cry for him to come. And after they sought God for a period of time, the Lord came down and he responded. Just like you read about in Joel, God poured out his spirit. And just like you read about in Joel, the harvest yielded supernaturally. It produces results that no man can produce. No charismatic personality could have enough charisma. Nobody could tell enough funny jokes. There couldn't be enough programs or money that could accomplish this. You understand, only God could do that. And make that harvest yield. Each outpouring also included the whole church worldwide. You know, as God poured out his spirit, I'm about to go through some times through the ages. The last couple hundred years, as God's poured out his spirit, it seems like it's affected huge, massive groups. I'll show you. So after what I talked about with Martin Luther, in the mid-1700s, a great sweeping revival known as the Great Awakening, shook America and greatly affected England under the ministry of the Wesley brothers, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, his son-in-law son Brainerd. 
Then 50 years later or so, roughly, there was another great revival at Can known as the Cambridge Revival. Started with James McGreedy, a man of, of prayer and fasting, a fiery preacher. They called it initially the Red River Revival. People came, but as it moved from there to Barton Stone over at Cane Ridge, the Holy Spirit fell with such power. Our, mili our military at the time came out there because there was such a huge crowd, estimated around 20 to 30,000 people. But the Holy Spirit fell so strong. This was a great frontier revival that shook our nation. In the mid-1800s, again, around, roughly around 50 years, Charles Finney up in Rochester, New York area, New England, that area was, was a mighty move of God. He had an intercessor named Brother Nash who would go before him and really pray. But God was pouring out his spirit and it affected a large group of people. In the 1890s, a supernatural outpouring in and around the Middle East, in and around the Middle East, Persia, Russia, Armenia, there are actually descendants of these outpourings living in America today that are witnesses to these. Movements were in place during this time. It's interesting to me how as God was pouring out his spirit in that way through the church, that also, I'll show you, there was significant activity about the nation of Israel. Like a train track, you have two tracks. So around this time in the late 1800s, there were movements in place for the land of Israel as the, the Hebrew language was being re-looked at and they were, they were going to... And also at the same time, there was talk of, you know, buying up the land. And then the early 1900s, we had this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit that took place in Wells and at Azusa Street, which you guys are familiar with. And that led into the early years like the World War I time frame, which as the Holy Spirit poured out, then look, in the nation of Israel, something significant happens. World War I caused the Ottoman Empire's power to be broken over the land of Israel, and wealthy Jews began to go in there and buy up the land. And then in the 1940s and 50s, there was a great revival, the great healing revival and deliverance revival that shook our nation, tents all over this nation. We know of some of the more famous ones like Oral Roberts and William Branham and Jack Coe and others. A. Allen was probably the last one of, of that group, but great healing revival. And during the 40s, what was happening in Israel? Israel became a nation in 1948. Then God poured out his spirit in an awesome way in the 1960s and 70s, which, what, which what was later called the charismatic revival because places like the uh, you know, among Catholics and among the Presbyterian and Episcopalian and some of these really high church groups, the Anglican, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that caused many of them to come to know Jesus and to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. At the same time, the Jesus movement was happening in America. There was a great revival among young people. It was so pervasive that it was even featured on Time magazine. Interesting, what was happening in the 60s? Israel took Jerusalem in 1967, the eternal capital of the nation of Israel. In the 1980s, there was a great revival of teaching, but power that went with teaching. Kenneth Hagin was used mightily by God to bring in a, a message of faith that we desperately need, and also not only faith, but he brought in a message of understanding um, the healing ministry, to understanding the authority that we have in Christ, to understanding the, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. And Kenneth Hagin operated himself in the power of the Holy Spirit to see many people supernaturally healed. And at the same time, Derek Prince emerged, an incredible teacher of the Word of God, extremely anointed. Derek Prince saw tremendous healings and tremendous, tremendous mass deliverance in his ministry. This was, though, a time, I believe, in the 80s, of great preparation for the last day revival because such incredibly good teaching came like a foundation in the body of Christ that we use today and we desperately needed. And then in the 1990s, a major move of God was underway. And God began to really pour out his spirit this time in the 90s. I believe what marked this revival the most 
was not only were you going to see great healings and miracles, because down from Azusa Street on, you're seeing an increase. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, healings and miracles, signs and wonders, deliverance from demons. I mean, you were seeing this in increasing measure, but as you got into the 90s, what earmarked that the most was that the glory of God came in. I mean, a thick, weighty glory came in. Like at Brownsville, there was such an intense glory. I mean, it was just... You would walk sometimes in there during the worship when the Holy Spirit was moving it. It just felt so thick, like you were in water. You know, just, you, it was just a thick glory. And that is still in the body of Christ, but many have gotten away from that by, for whatever reason. But anyway, when God poured out his Spirit in the 90s, there's still remnants of that, like here and other places where the glory of God still is. So the 1990s to the early 2000s, it was a great revival that began in the 80s in Argentina and literally swept South and Central America in Mexico through you know David Hogan's ministry here in America at Brownsville and Canada the great Toronto revival there were places in Europe there were places in the Middle East there were places in Africa with Bonkey's ministry in major moves of God in the Far East like the great China revival that took place it was a worldwide sweeping revival And I believe that we're due and we're about to see another major move of God. And I personally believe it will be the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit we've seen. And it will usher in the coming of the Lord. See, what we've seen, if you look at this, you can see that God is every major move, every advancement has been by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't man's intellect. It wasn't charismatic personalities. It wasn't all of our fancy programs we put together, was it? When you look through this list and you read the great advancements, how did it come? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Every time. God birthed us on the day of Pentecost by breathing into his body his breath of life and he clothed us with power, the early church. It was never supposed to leave. Then in every time down the last 2,000 years, that great significant advancement was taken, a significant harvest yielded, things were restored back to the body of Christ, the church rose up in victory every time it was marked by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Somebody, somewhere, saw the desperate need. They began to cry out to God in prayer and fasting, seeking God with all their heart, God heard and he poured out his spirit. It's interesting because I believe there's so much to be gleaned from the feast of the Lord in the Bible. Go you know, like on Passover, there's so much to learn about the blood of the Messiah and all that. And Pentecost, we're coming into it, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But you know, on the Day of Atonement called Yom Kippur, it's a time every year to humble yourself, prayer, fasting, giving an offering unto God, and really consecrating your life unto him, really repenting, making sure that you've confessed and repented of any sin, you've righted any wrong. And see, when you do that every year, you learn that we need to do that before God, but you also learn that God is a forgiving God. The Day of Atonement teaches us humility, prayer, fasting, giving, and consecrating our lives. And I've taught on this so many times. I think you guys just know this, so I'm not going to dwell on it all. But if you take, you know, Isaiah 58, the great chapter on fasting, and you look at Joel 1 and 2, and then you look at 2 Chronicles 7 14, which I'll quote here in a moment. When you bring those together, you see five things. The Lord shows us if you'll humble yourself. That's the main thing. But if you'll pray, if you'll fast, if you'll give, be a giver, financial giver, and if you'll really consecrate your life before God, repent of your sin, he said, I will hear and I will respond. I love in Isaiah 58, he says, is this not the fast I've chosen for you? But he says, you will call to me and I will answer you. And he said, you will cry to me and I will say, here I am. Think about that for a moment. What God is saying is, if you'll really humble yourself and seek me, he said, you will call to me and I will answer your prayers. And you will cry out to me and you will know my nearness. I will be there with you. 
What a promise. And I can't help but think about Cornelius. You know, it was time. Now, the, the early church had the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. We read about it in the Bible. You know, Philip ended up in Samaria. God was moving mightily. And the prophecy Jesus gave was it would start in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria. But then he said it's going to go to the ends of the earth. And so now it's time for it to get outside of the nation of Israel, outside of the Jewish people. And isn't it interesting? Read the story that who is it that found favor with God? There was a, a Gentile man, an Italian, by the name of Cornelius. And the Bible says about Cornelius that he was a very humble man, but he was a man of prayer, and he was a man that was a giver financially. And the Bible says that the angel of the Lord appeared to him. This probably scared you. I'm sure it's never happened before that. And so here Cornelius is, like his, his routine. He's a humble person that's seeking God in prayer. He's a, he's a financial giver to the poor and to the work of God. He's really sincere about things. And, and here he is one day praying, and all of a sudden this angel of the Lord appears to him. Probably scared him half to death. And the angel says, Cornelius, your prayers and your giving has gone up before God as a memorial offering. Now send for Peter, who's in Joppa. So he sends for Peter. Now Cornelius is telling all of his family and friends about it. The guy, the, guys, the angel came and told me to send for Peter. Peter's coming. Y'all need to come here and let's hear what he has to say. Well, not only did Peter come and preach, but you know what happened? A great outpouring of the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius in his entire household, all of his family, all of those probably that worked for him, and probably friends he invited over, the Holy Spirit fell on every one of them. And the Bible says that those who were with Peter were amazed because it was the same as it was on the day of Pentecost. So it was God's will now to begin to move this outside of Israel and outside of the Jewish people out to the Gentiles. And this was the first person that God was going to use. And this was so significant, Peter went back and reported it in Jerusalem. Guys, God is pouring out his spirit now on the Gentiles. And this opened the way for ministries like Paul's ministry to be accepted because he was going out among the Gentiles preaching. He needed the support back home. But God saw Cornelius, his humility, his prayers, his giving. There's something about it, guys. If we can see right now the desperate need in our nation, there needs to be vision for us to see that in actual fact, spiritually speaking, we are in dire straits. We all know that. People think about, well, what's going to happen to America and all this in the natural? You know, God's got all that under control. But listen, what I'm concerned about is the harvest of souls. There's a lot of people that may be going to church out there that don't know the Lord and they're not hearing a message of repentance. They're not hearing the gospel. They're just being entertained and hearing motivational speeches and how to be a better you and I'll be your coach to help you be a better you. You can be a better you all the way into the grave and straight into the pit of hell. Being a better you isn't going to save your eternal soul. The only thing that's going to save you is being born of God. And coming into a blood covenant in which you repent of your sins. And you get right with God. That's the only thing. That's what concerns me. We need to see a sovereign move of God like we read about in history. And that we've seen back in the 90s. And we need a move of God where the Holy Spirit is poured out again. And the harvest yields. But it's going to require people like you and I. That see that we are in dire straits and it is desperate. And as we see the desperation, we begin to get really serious in our prayer, in our fasting, in our crying out to God. And God's going to hear our prayers. He's going to hear that deep cry. And he will respond by pouring out his spirit and doing what only God can do. And if you could get my wife so she can take care of it. So I'm going to close with this. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost to come. Verses 16 through 18, but Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea 
and those that live in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and give heed to my words. These men are not drunk as you suppose. Man, we need this again where the Holy Spirit's moving so powerfully that people appear drunk in the Spirit. But he said it's only the third hour of the day. This is what the prophet Joel talked about. Remember, we read this. It shall be in the last days, God says, I will pour forth my Spirit on all mankind. Peter was seeing the early rains. We are called in this last day church to see these latter rains. So we have God saying in the scripture, I will do this. So we need to grab hold of that word and begin to desperately cry out to God. You promised in the last days you would pour out your spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters prophesy your young men see visions, your old men dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit on the in those days and they shall prophesy will grant wonders in the sky and signs on the earth below blood fire and vapor smoke the sun to darkness the moon to blood which are eclipses and i do believe look back you remember the blood moons and the solar eclipses of 2014 and 15 those were signs those were signs that we are in the last days god was speaking to the earth jesus is coming soon great uh, tribulation is coming in the near future on the earth great outpouring of the holy spirit great revival i'm going to be closing this thing up i'm going to be finishing my work my son is coming it's a message and he said that before the great and glorious day of the lord shall come and it will be that everyone who calls upon the name of the lord shall be saved and i close with this scripture we all know second chronicles 7 14 if my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face i will hear from heaven forgive their sin and heal their land but it's got to be that desperate cry when we see the need and we begin to humble ourselves. You know, David Hogan said something that always stayed with me because he was a man of great prayer and fasting. He said, I've learned that if I can humble my soul in prayer and humble my body in fasting, there's nothing that God has promised that he won't do. But he said, I must humble my soul in prayer and humble my body in fasting. Isn't that something? He put the emphasis on humility. But there's got to be a group of people that see the need and get serious with God to really humble themselves in prayer and fasting and, and have a giving life that financially you're a giver because obviously that speaks a lot in heaven. That's what the angel told Cornelius. And if you read Isaiah 58, God connects giving to the poor with prayer and fasting. Anyway, and really consecrating our lives. Just like the men in Barvis and that Isle of Hebrides they were reading about who will ascend the hill of the Lord. He that has clean hands and pure heart. And the man that reading it said, Lord, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? And he began to be convicted and he began to weep and began to really confess and repent of his sins. And the other men followed suit. And pretty soon that barn began to be filled with the presence of God. See, there's something about us really cleansing our way. And if we get serious with God and really cry out to him, he promises, I will hear you. I will rebuke back that northern army that's been resisting my spirit and resisting the harvest i will yield the harvest for you i will pour out my spirit and i will restore the years the locusts have eaten and it's going to come as a sovereign act of god where god does what only god can do listen I, i've said this repeatedly but it's i'm gonna say it one more time there's no amount of human effort that can do this we can preach till we're literally blue in the face we can tell all kinds of funny jokes. We can do all kinds of programs. We can have all kinds of charismatic personalities. We can pour all kinds of money, put on the greatest show. It's only going to yield certain things. But when God comes down, the harvest will yield. And it will be something only God can do. People will be convicted. People will repent. People will change. Great advancement. Hell will be in retreat. And heaven will come down and the kingdom of God will flourish because the Spirit of God is being poured out. But it will only come when we get desperate with God in prayer and fasting. So Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray that this will go out and bear fruit. Draw us into you, Lord. Give us a desperate cry. Lord, people that are hearing this and are going to hear this, I'm asking you to begin to put in people a desperate cry that only the Spirit of God can do, that we begin to really um, be great intercessors in these latter days that will see a sovereign move of God birthed.
Yield the harvest, Lord. Do what only you can do. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're gonna pray for people tonight, but I kind of feel, I have a feeling the Holy Spirit is wanting to move again in some intercession um, for this upcoming conference and what God's wanting to do. I believe, guys, with, with those, those that are specifically coming, I just believe we're at a time when we're going to start seeing something really break open for us that only God can do. And that we're done, the recordings are all.